Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast. And this is podcast episode number 63. And today we are joined by Miss Vumile Mswele in South Africa. Hello, Vumile. How are you? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm very well, thank you. And I'm delighted to have you on. And thank you so much again for giving us some of your time today. So, oh, absolute pleasure. Okay, so I'm going to call you Vumi. Vumi for short. Yay! Yes. So let, let me tell uh, our audience a little bit about you. Vumi is an international speaker, renowned coach, and the chief executive officer for Hasid Consulting. Is that correct, Vumi? Is it Hasid or? Yeah, Hesed? it's Hasid. Hesed. You'll have to tell us um, the meaning behind that, by the way. Okay, so Hesed is a consulting firm specializing in commerce acceleration career coaching, women empowerment, facilitation, and training on the African continent. Vumi has worked in Europe, Asia, and across the African continent for reputable multinational institutions. Some of these big names include Barclays, First National Bank, and Vodafone. She is an award-winning businesswoman who's received honors such as the Women's Economic Forum's Women of Excellence Award, as well as being named the 34th most influential young South African by Avant Media, The Mail, and The Guardian Top 200 Most Influential Young South Africans. And she was also awarded the L Boss of the Year in the corporate category. Vumi is very passionate about coaching. So she's an avid coach and speaker, having spoken in conferences, expos, and workshops around the globe. I've personally heard Vumi speak, and she's a drop-the-mic kind of speaker, so you... If you ever have the pleasure of hearing Bumi speak, you must. You're so good at that, Bumi. You're so good at that. Oh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> and Bumi is an entrepreneur. Um, her first venture kicked off when she was 22. She is a millennial, so she's very young. And um, she's been featured in many, com- in many publications, such as True Love Magazine and Bona Magazine, as well as The Thinker Magazine. She has been featured on Ghana's ETV. She's a regular contributor on... SAFM radio on business and women's issues and it goes on and on and on <laughs> okay so Bumi welcome and thank you again for joining us thank you for having me once again Joe thank you wonderful so Bumi before we begin first thing tell us what's behind the name Hesed Consulting uh, so Hesed actually is a na- is, it's a Hebrew name okay. and it means grace charity mercy love goodness and kindness Mm-hmm. And that's basically the experience I wanted my clients to have in engaging with us wow. is that feeling of love and feeling grace and feeling important. So when I, um, when I saw that, I was like, yep, that's what I'm calling my company. Okay. I like that. I like that. I like that. And I mentioned that you're young and I say that for a reason because um, not because I'm trying to say, oh, she's so young. It's not that kind of thing, but you are young and you are accomplished, which is no longer a, a kind of misnomer these days. You know, back in the days you had to wait until you were in your fifties and then you were known as accomplished. But um, these days, millennial women are all very accomplished. So tell us how old you are, Vinny. I am 32 as of May, so easing into being 32. Yeah. Okay. So tell us now, how did you get into this line of work? Where did it all begin for you? So I guess it started with what I studied. So um, I come from a you know, very underprivileged background, okay. and I got a scholarship to study accounting okay. uh, from, Price, from then PricewaterhouseCoopers. And okay. Um, so I studied accounting and I thought I'd become a chartered accountant, but as I started work, my mom could see that I really wasn't happy in the auditing space. 
and I was working at the time for um, a, a multinational bank and I was supposed to be doing internal audit for them. And I found myself constantly more interested in what's happening at the call center and what's happening with clients. Um, so I quickly realized that no, accounting was definitely my route. I decided to converge in. Which is, you know, a little bit different from, from, being, a, from being a CA. And I started. So I quickly realized that it wasn't for me because I found myself instead of being in the space in internal auditing, constantly instead wanting to be with, op with operations, with the client's services, understanding how clients think, how they want to be treated, uh, what's our strategy, how can we make it better? And that's where my career sort of evolved from the accounting route into strategy and operations. And I think that evolved even further when I realized I really like doing this for corporates, but I like talking strategy and operations and how people think and how they can be better in their own lives um, into, into coaching. Okay. And then you got the coaching bug. Then I got the coaching bug. I didn't even know what it was called at the time, yeah. but the moment I figured out what it was, it just felt so natural to me because, you know, when you're that friend where your friends will always come to you and be like, how can I strategize my career better? How should I approach this? That it, it seemed like a natural, um, a natural evolution for me. And also having been a young millennial and specifically in the South African context where not a lot of uh, predecessors who were female and African existed in the corporate environment that most of us were feeling our way for the first time. And I was very blessed to have been able to accelerate my career at the level that, and pace that I did, that I found myself now sharing with friends as to actually this works, this doesn't work based on my own experience. Yeah. Um, and that mentorship sort of evolved straight into, into coaching. Now in the Western world, coaching is very oversubscribed. Okay. I'm sure you know that mm. it's a, it's a yeah. oversaturated market in the West. What is it like in South Africa and around the continent of Africa generally? Is it a so I think new um, area. It's, it's several years new in South Africa. And I think it's very common from an executive perspective to have executive coaches, mm -hmm. but not so much from a life perspective as much. It's starting to become more common, specifically in Southern Africa. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a, a massive take-up that's starting to happen in, in, in countries like West Af in places like West Africa, specifically in Nigeria. But I think there's still so much opportunity for expansion. I think the African continent is very hungry for personal development and has a great appetite for it. I think, though, there's, um, there's great amounts of expansion that can still happen. Right. So that is a perfect segue into the topic Vumi is going to discuss with us today, which is coaching and why it is important in the African workplace. So you just mentioned it. You said there's a lot of, of scope and there's a lot of room for development in this area. So coaching, how is it viewed in an African context? So in an African context, a lot of people, if you, if you speak to the average African, they'd be like, if you talk coaching, they're automatically going to think sports. Mm. Um, when you start saying life coaching, a lot, some people will know what you would, they would have heard of the terminology, but very few would have actually engaged with a life coach. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start diversifying into executive coaches, career coaches, uh, transformational coaches, then it gets a bit of gray of a gray area. So I think for me, there's, there's definitely a lot of education that can still happen mm -hmm. from what coaching is and the, and the actual impact of coaching. Mm -hmm. um, I think in corporate, in corporate Africa, 
um, the, 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 the value is starting to be really honored and, and, and be perceived. Right. And at your business, Hassan Consulting, what kind of coaching do you focus on? What kind of coaching do you offer? So we offer executive, we offer um, transformational, we offer transition, um, and we offer life coaching and career and acceleration coaching. So that's where we specialize in. So it's very much within commerce, um, in the commerce space, where teams are either having a bit of change and management that's happening, and we come in and we help them with that transition, with leadership acceleration, where we work a lot with graduates um, and executives who are, who are being groomed, you know, they're part of the succession plan, being groomed to take on that next role of leadership and how can we get, how can we get them into having this, the right skill set and the right mental attitude to be the best versions of themselves as they can be as leaders. Um, and you also work a lot with teams um, to say, these are the team dynamics. How can we become more efficient in achieving, in achieving objectives? Mm, okay. And what is it like working with your clients? Do, you, do your clients come to you sort of when they're at a crossroads, when there's a lot of problems? Or do you find yourself having to work really hard to get your clients on board? Because like you said, there's a lot of your work revolves around educating people. Yes, I think for me, it's very rare when it's my clients are at a uh, like dire need. It's mm. ordinarily sort of pre-planned. So a lot of my clients, I find, we approach them. We say, "These are the, this is our service offering. This is what we've done with other conglomerates." And it becomes a um, process is we do a needs um, a needs analysis first to say, "Where are you? Where are you wanting to be? And is are our services something we can offer to help you get there?" Um, and then after that discussion, we co-create all our coaching experiences. Mm. So there is no coaching experience that is, that, is, um, that is a lift and drop. Everything is tailor-made for our clients' needs. So mm. um, that's why it, it, it tends to be a very, very collaborative partnership approach um, to coaching. And then we obviously have tools that we use to help them achieve whatever it is that they, their objective is. And that tends to be how it works more for us as opposed to them reaching out when they're in dire straits. Right. So it's really you going out there, educating people, putting yourself out there, working, spreading the information and, and getting people on board. That's correct. So how do you deal with people who say to you or clients or just people in general, um, business people in general, entrepreneurs, for example, who say, well, why do I need that? Why is that important? I think for me, what, what's helped us really, really explain to people, we're taking a look at some of our clients, obviously, um, from confidential perspective, I can't name all our clients. Of course. Um, to say we've worked with this. So with clients who are a little bit skeptical about what it is that we do, obviously without naming some of our existing clients, we are able to say, this is what we've been able to assist them with. This is where their leadership um, talent pool was at. After engaging with us, this is where their skill set had upgraded to. And this is how more efficient they were. And in looking at those testimonials, you find that especially from a smaller to medium-sized enterprise, that they recognize that a multinational company can see the value in, in, in our services and in coaching, that they also then um, start having an appetite to engage with us. So I think that's the sort of um, conversation that we able to steer their thinking. 
definitely. And I know you're doing, you're looking to expand outside of South Africa, which is very exciting because I know you want to be sort of a pan-African business. That's correct, right? That is completely correct. Okay, so where is your next market? Where are you heading to next after South Africa? So for us, our next market is West Africa and mm-hmm. East Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think within Southern Africa, you know, we started to do some work in um, South Africa and Zambia, uh, some conversations in Botswana. So mm-hmm. I think the, the most logical space is in West Africa and East Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's great value in, 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 in sharing best practice amongst the African con- continent because mm-hmm. our market is also very, very unique. Having worked in places like Asia, like Europe, mm. you can't do a simple lift and drop into the African continent. Mm. Um, and I think there's great, there's great value in, in sharing what we, what we know internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in sort of, you know, iron sharpens iron. So, uh, you know, it's often said that if you can make it um, on the continent, you can make it anywhere. So mm. um, I definitely think that for Hased, it's, it's imperative that we expand into East and West Africa. Yeah, so in West Africa, I imagine Nigeria, the biggest market. Yeah, so Nigeria is a large market that we're really interested in, as well as Ghana. Ghana, okay. um, Ghana, and I think for, for East Africa, we'd be looking at Tanzania and also looking into Kenya. Of course, Kenya. Yeah, everybody wants to do business in Kenya. Kenya is a very uh, busy, busy country at the moment. Lots happening in Kenya. Kenya is booming. V- yeah, Kenya definitely is booming, especially from a technology space. Oh, yeah. um, I also think because even the style of doing business in Kenya is very, very similar to um, South African style of, of engaging, oh, which, really? is, which makes it a, a, little, a little bit easy. And, you know, you also have to enjoy the East African way of life, which in, in t- is more prevalent in a, in a country like Tanzania, where it's a little bit more slow paced and it's very, very human engagement uh, as a requirement. Mm. And then also, you know, the challenge of being in a country like Nigeria, which is very like specifically Lagos, mm. which is very, very fast paced and the market yeah. is massive and, and aggressive. Um, people are and aggressive and on the go and, and expanding um, exponentially. Um, would be will also be very very good for us, and then obviously um, Ghana as well is a very rich market. So it's yeah, it's it's definitely where Hassan is wanting to expand to. Yeah. Now, in terms of okay, when we talk of Africa, there may be people listening to this podcast going, okay, Africa, wow. Okay, let's break that down. This is a massive continent with fifty five countries now. It used to be fifty four, I think, since Sudan joined. Yep. Fifty five countries now. 55 countries that can fit in North America, China, Japan, Absolutely. a bit of Europe, all on the continent. And Absolutely. often people outside of the continent far. think it's very, it's very close. Like one country like Congo alone can fit in the size of Western Europe. Oh God, when yeah. I fly to Nigeria, it's, it's a six hour flight. It's not next door. Yeah, and Nigeria is the most populous country in, in Africa. And uh, I think it recently replaced South Africa as the largest economy, hasn't it? In- yes, yes. So yeah. Nigeria has the largest economy. Nigeria has also got the largest population, like you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. One in four Africans is Nigerian. Yeah. So 25% of the African population comes from Nigeria. Nigeria. So what I wanted you to do was explain to those who aren't aware of the diversity and just the, sh- the sheer nuance in, in the African continent. I mean, tell us a little bit about the differences, for example, between working in the West and the East, and we haven't even gotten into North Africa, the Maghreb, and Central and Southern Africa, so people can get an idea of how diverse this continent really is, um, if you want to do it from a business perspective or a cultural perspective, but just give people a general overview. 
Okay, so I'll start with my own country. So I come from South Africa. We have 11 official languages. Mm. Um, that's just within my country. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a country that's got about 55, 56 million people mm-hmm. with 11 official languages. Then you start going into, into, going into West Africa. Um, I'll use Nigeria as an example. Nigeria, um, the capital city of, um, not the capital, the largest city is Lagos. And that population is half the size of my population, of my country, the city mm. alone. Mm. So that's just the sheer magnitude. When you start talking cultural nuances, you're looking at over 2,000 languages. Mm. Um, um, what, they do, what does help Nigeria, I think, a lot from a unification perspective is they do have um, pidgin, mm. which is a form of, um, of, of English that's mixed with local uh, languages. Mm. The style of, of doing business is also very cultural. It is very much, um, you know, it, it's let me engage with you. Let me get to know you as a person, not just the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so social engagement becomes very, very important in, in doing business. Um, it's also a very, very respectful um, culture mm-hmm. in doing business. Mm-hmm. You know, in Nigeria, everyone refers to everyone as madame or sir. Very, very respectful. Um, and that's just how people do, do business. They, they're very, very, it's a very energetic style of doing business as well. Mm-hmm. People are constantly on the go. People are constantly also asking you, what do the numbers look like? How, does, how will this translate into profitability? Um, and that's, I think that's a pretty much a universal way of philosophy most of the time, I suppose, of doing business. Mm-hmm. But that's how I found engaging in, in Nigeria. And it's also to, for you to understand, even in my, in my expansion into Nigeria, it hasn't been a case of meeting with clients, this is what we sell. It was, I spent three weeks just observing, understanding, interviewing the market mm-hmm. because it's so fundamentally different to the South African market. Right. Then you get into places like East Africa where people tend to be a little bit more soft-spoken. Mm. Obviously, these are vast generalizations, but it'll give you a, a, good, a good example, um, a, good, a good feel. East Africa tends to be a lot more soft-spoken. Um, the way of doing business as well there is not aggressive at all. It's very it's subtle, isn't it? It's not like very, very subtle. Like yeah. Nigeria. yeah. No, no, no. Um, you know, in, I found when engaging in East Africa, we'd, we'd only talk numbers when we're about to sign contracts. Mm-hmm. It's more of, 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 let's stick to the principles. Are you answering our question, um, our problem statement that we've posed to you? Very nuanced way of doing business. The moment you get aggressive or you try rush, you can find yourself isolated. Mm. So, so you have to have a very patient style of doing business if i were to put styles of doing business on the table from a from a more from more um general worldview i would say doing business in um in nigeria is like being in america it's loud it's brash it's exciting and fast-paced doing business in east africa i would say is more like being in in asia where it's a little bit more slow-paced, a little bit more subtle um, way of doing business. And then I'd compare the South to more European, which seems a bit of a mixture of the two. Yeah. And I think, uh, I guess in the East, as in Asia, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. That, is across, um, that is across the continent. Um, you know, we have the philosophy of Ubuntu. I am because we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so the humanity with the people that you do business with is critical. I found across the continent, um, even, even with some business partners of mine that are outside 
of South Africa, when they come in country, the biggest compliment is to bring them into your home and, and serve them dinner. Mm-hmm. So, so, so creating intimate relationships of really knowing each other and really seeing the, the people and um, because people do business with people, not with institutions, mm-hmm. um, that that becomes very critical on, on, on the African continent. Yeah. And I imagine coaching, like we said, is new across Africa and you talked about it in the work, we'll get to the workplace, but are you trying to position yourself uniquely in the continent? Because very soon you're going to be up against outside competition because at some point there's going to be, and I'm sure they're already coming, Westerners and Western coaches are going to come and say, okay, this is a hot market now. We can start going here and going there and going sort of everywhere else. So are you trying to position yourself uniquely across the continent so that when those external forces do come, you kind of have a, a stronghold? What, what's your strategy? What are you doing? Um, I think for me, I'm not really afraid of Westerners coming. No? I think, I think yeah, no, not at all. Because the I think competition makes us... You know, the big companies, the big Western firms, yeah. The big Western firms, for me, I found, and this has always been interesting, mm-hmm. is a lot of companies have tended to fail on the continent mm-hmm. because they aren't aware of the nuances Absolutely. companies that have done well. And if you, even if you're looking at companies that have done well in Africa, are companies that are African. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it's, so um, important. I think that's a very good thing. So if, if you're coming as a coach coming mm-hmm. from a part of the world that completely doesn't understand the culture, mm-hmm you are going to, um, and, and it's also difficult to replicate the culture. Africanness is not something you can replicate. Mm. And that's one of our unique uh, settling points is um, I look at our team. Our team, uh, we've got people from Kenya. We've got um, Africans for, who are from the continent living in the diaspora who, who, who give us insights and who are part of our team. And that's by design because as much as I'm African, I can't, um, I can't assume to know every single cultural nuance and, and corporate engagement in, in countries I wasn't raised in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that for us is our diversity in being African has helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. And also because we're pan-African mm-hmm. has helped us a lot. And the third thing for me is what makes our unique setting position very interesting is I, all, most of our team have been executives in, 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 in Africa. Mm-hmm. So we, when, when coaching, we aren't speaking from a theory perspective. We're speaking both from a, this is the theory of coaching, but also this is my personal experience. I know exactly what you're talking about. You want to talk about working in Egypt? I know I've worked in Egypt. Yeah. So, yeah. so our ability to coach and direct and steer and ask the right questions comes both from a place of experience, a place of understanding the culture, and a place also of understanding, um, of understanding where your business is going because we're also in those markets. Right, right, right. No, but I, I really like the fact that you are not threatened by Western business. I asked that question because I, you, you see it all the time. You know, a, mm. a continent or a different countries start developing and certain things start happening. And then all of a sudden, the multinationals start to come. And then those who have kind of been on the ground in the country doing work for a long time, they either get swallowed up because they weren't ready they weren't prepared for the competition or Mm -hmm. they do very well you know it it can go either way i've seen it i've seen it happen a lot so it sounds like you're not you're not even bothered by it you're just kind of focused on what you need to do and it sounds like you think many of them are going to fail anyway because they they usually do the it's really the the african market is is so dynamic yeah 
it's so dynamic. And I think a lot of, a lot of Western companies tend to fail because they think of us as a country. Mm-hmm. Can't have a country with 1 billion people. That's yeah. only, um, that's only in Asia, in, specifically in China and India. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, but even then the languages aren't as diverse. Yeah. You come into our space, we've got hundreds of thousands of languages. Um, we, we, we have a way of doing things. We have a philosophy of life that if you come in and you're too aggressive and you try to force feed what works in the West here, it fails. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen, you know, we've, we've seen, um, we've seen a number of companies come in, fail. Some companies had to readjust, you know, like the likes of McDonald's first coming into South Africa, mm-hmm. they came in, they battled, they had to shut down a few stores because mm-hmm. they were like, what, what's wrong? And we're like, we don't like drive-throughs. We sit down to eat. Right, right. The same thing in so, China. A lot of, mm. I think, Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's are successful in China. But when you look at the way they operate in China, they do it from a very restaurant perspective because the Chinese are family-oriented. They sit down together and they eat and it's a family affair. So you don't really have a lot of the drive-through kind of concept over there for those kind of stores. Yes. And they, the way they build the restaurants are quite big and all of that stuff. And again, this is because cultural nuance. They sit down and eat. It is. The entire family eating it's not a nuclear family you know it's mom dad grandparents cousins everybody yeah so i think they had to readjust their strategy and also they didn't really have much of a chicken offering mm-hmm. we really like chicken mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and when we eat beef it's because we, we, we we're a country that has that's got like we're known for our steaks we want to see that we're eating meat so yeah. even the the food chains that had done well it's because they patties were thicker and etc so they had to completely realign, reposition, and then started to succeed. And I think, and I think that's important. Um, I think that's why we can't be threatened about, uh, about a, a market that's ours from people coming outside. Yeah. They have to be very, yeah. very disruptive. Yeah, and I, I, I like that the point you made about Nigeria is more like the U.S. because I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, the American style of business is very in-your-face. It's very mm. in, do it well, get it done, boom, 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 boom. There's a lot of, like, con- well, what they call confidence and all this other kind of stuff. But that Very much so. That, that doesn't work um, in a lot of places outside the U.S. That works in the U.S. And um, you yes. see a lot of Americans trying to do that in other countries, and it fails. And I think that's why the view is like, oh my God, these people are so arrogant. <laughs> but it's, it's completely, just, yeah, it's just, it's just that confidence. Yeah. That's like, and that style of business is very brash and it's very, this is who I am and this is what I can do. And that doesn't always work. No, yeah. That on the go, um, let's get it done. Um, larger than lifestyle of business doesn't always work everywhere. Mm. But, but that being said, you also like you, your organization needs to be very, very flexible and adaptable to say, we can get that done in a country like Nigeria, taper it down for a country that that way of doing business for a country like Ghana, and then really put it on low for a country like Tanzania mm. and, 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 and adjust. And that sort of flexibility, if you come in thinking, you know, the continent, mm. you can't, you won't be, you won't even be able to pick up those nuances. Yeah. And what and about also. Sorry, go mm-hmm. ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. So I'm saying even um, so even stuff that I found I found having done stuff in Europe where let's say issues of sexism come in, which in in the African context is slightly different. 
So, you know, they say, um, you know, a gentleman must open the door, but I'm a Zuluko from KZ. My, my father or my significant other always goes first to make sure that it's safe. Mm, so, so, nuances so well, yeah. those nuances are, are critical. Yeah, and that, and that opens up a whole other conversation around things like sexism, because when you start talking about feminism and women's rights in, in the continent of Africa, it's a whole other kind of conversation compared to what's happening in the West. And, and that's Continue. also important too. So as a woman, building your business throughout the continent, have you been facing any kind of, I don't know, sexism or, or prejudices or biases because of your gender? Your gender? Um. I, for me, it hasn't really been about my gender as much as it's been about my age. Mm, um, yeah, the, yeah. And yeah, for, for me personally, um, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain style. Like if I see how my mother in talking, um, talking to uh, like my grandmother, even talking to my grandfather, she can, she can very nicely in a very feminine way, get him to do what she needs him to do. Sure. And negotiate. It's sure. not necessarily from a, going to be from a, well, I'm equal and you do it my way. Right, right. It's a very subtle but very convincing and powerful form of negotiating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so from a rational place. So for me, that's how I've always seen women in power. Mm. So, so that, na- that becomes my natural disposition when, when I'm in the workplace is to rely a lot on my femininity to get things done. Mm, um interesting so, yeah so for me th- that um oh gentleman's going to take the lead etc um will be will be perceived to take the lead i suppose i would say from the west mm. but the person who's actually in control would be would be a woman right so uh, and i'm very and i tend to be very objective driven you know my company is 100 percent black female owned it's it's an african owned um institution um the majority of our of my staff are african females yeah and we seem to be you know accelerating and 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 getting to where we need to be without necessarily being as um i think sometimes uh, um as aggressive as people would expect a feminist to be Mm. Okay, I want to explore this a bit more, but I park that for a second. Going back to regions in Africa, do you see yourself working in French-speaking countries in West Africa and in the Maghreb, for example, or in you know Central Africa, um, some of the Portuguese, the Angola, and these places? Do you see yourself venturing into those markets? Um, so at this space, at this not the not the Portuguese at this at this stage. So that would be Angola and Mozambique. That's right. not part of our expansion plan. But um, our next our next tier expansion for us would be into Francophone Africa. So the likes of Cote d'Ivoire, Cameroon. Gabon and uh, DR, uh, Congo, both um, Republic and DR. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sorry, so I'm not using acronyms. Dem- Democratic Republic of Congo, um, as well as its neighbor, the, the Republic of, um, of Congo. Mm-hmm. So, definitely, definitely, um, that is something that we're looking at. Even in um, some of our literature now, we've already started getting that translated mm-hmm. um, in, into French. Mm-hmm. I think, I think um, you know, everyone looks at, at the continent and is like, oh, Africa is so big, it's massive. Um, and they're focusing on Anglo, Anglo-speaking Africa. And oh. I think the next massive um, growth is actually going to come from Francophone Africa. Mm. And what about the North, the Maghreb, the Arab countries? Any interest there? Um, at this stage, no. I think there's so much to do in Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That for me, that would probably be the, the, lo- the last way for, for, for Hussein. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, now let's go back to what you were talking about being female, being young, and using your femininity. Now, for some people, the saying, I use my femininity as my advantage in my business, they, they may not quite understand that or they may not, they may not get that. <laughs> that to them yeah. might be a bit like, hmm. So can you expand a bit on that a bit more for me? As a, as a young woman um, building your business from the ground up, how do you use your femininity to your advantage? So I'm obviously speaking in general terms here. So naturally as a woman, my philosophy and my approach to life is going to be more holistic in its view. Mm -hmm. I tend to take a look at the periphery and not just a tunnel vision of things. Mm -hmm. That is an advantage for me because that's a feminine disposition and a feminine way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. um, I would look at when engaging even in, in, in business, especially as a coach, I'm not going to just look, say, okay, this is going to translate to X amount of efficiency after you've instituted it, but it's, I'm going to take a look at it as your employees are also going to have this impact. Your staff turnover is also going to drop. So my view is going to be a lot more holistic in how I approach business. Mm -hmm. The second thing is often we have this perception that the loudest person in the room is the smartest. Oh God, yes. You see that a lot in the West, especially. Yes. Um, and, and often I found that the most powerful person in the room might be the one who whispers, mm -hmm. but can impact and shape and drive the thinking to the execution. And that's how I found feminine style of leadership to be. Mm. It's not necessarily to be the loudest, but it's to get things done. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a good example is in my culture, you know, we have diary where yeah. Yeah. the men negotiate it. Okay but you'll find that behind closed doors, your, your aunts and your grandmothers have positioned everything to the uncles and the, and the father to explain that this is how it's actually going to go down. Right. And, right. and, and you'll find sometimes an uncle going out and then he's just quickly touching base with the woman. Okay. The women so aren't necessarily so in the room executing, but okay. their strategy is being implemented either way. So in your culture, the man pays the dowry as opposed to the woman. With, like in some South Asian cultures, it's the woman. Yes, yes. So for us, the men pay the dowry to get a bride, okay. to the bride's family. And you said the women are usually behind closed doors negotiating and pulling the strings. But the men are but more the men, the men are actually, the, the, the groom's family and the bride's family, the men of both the families are the ones doing the official negotiations. But the people oh. lobbying and making sure things get done are women. Sure. Would you say that, and again, this is a gross generalization, but we can only speak from what we know here. Would you say that within your, your culture, your particular, I'm assuming you are Zulu? You're Zulu? Yes, I am. Okay. Now, within your particular culture, women are resigned and quite comfortable with being sort of the power players behind, behind the show. Would you say that's, that's an accurate assumption? Um, yeah, I would say that the style of of power, of perceived power in, our, in my culture mm -hmm. would be more patriarchal. And just to be clear on this, um, this is specifically my culture. Right. In my same country, in the same country I live in, it's the opposite where it's matriarchal. My best friend comes from a matriarchal society okay. where, she's, where she's ready and, and they don't have a king. They only have queens. See. And it's the women who, who do the dowry negotiations, not the men. So okay. just so we're clear. So I don't want anyone thinking that Africa is nothing but patriarchal people. It's a specific culture. And this is in the Zulu culture you're referring to. Yeah, specifically within the Zulu culture. To say that women are resigned, for me, is the wrong word. Women are accustomed to not necessarily being the one 
who seem to be the most powerful, mm. but being the most powerful. Yeah. And I think that's so, so, around the world generally. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. yeah. So for me, so for me, it's not a resignation, but it's also, it's just a different way of, Exercise. of, um, of exercising authority and exercising execution on things. Mm-hmm. And I think also in business, we have to be very cognizant of that. Mm. Do you want to be the person who said, oh, right, guys, that's the decision we're making going forward. Mm. Or are you wanting to be the person whose strategy is actually implemented and yeah. successful? Yeah. And um, as, so, yeah. As, as I was going to say, as women, it's, it's so important when you're in business uh, early on to define your style of, of leadership and understand how you're going to lead. And that's why I asked you this question because you've made, you know, you've made it very clear that your style of leadership, it's a feminine style of leadership. And obviously some of that comes from cultural influence, but it's, it's, it's more of what you've chosen and how you've chosen to lead your business. And I think that's really important. I think that's it important. is because in on all honesty, I, my personal style is very much collaborative. Yeah, my my personal style is collaborative. My personal style is community inclusive style of leadership. Mm-hmm. It's wanting to get buy in, but if if a call has to be made, mm-hmm. I'm finally responsible. I'm ultimately responsible. The buck stops with me. I will make the call. Mm-hmm. But it's I find it a lot. My natural inclination is to get buy in from those that I that I work with. Mm. I, I I'm not authoritarian. Not authoritarian in my style at all. Yeah, yeah. But you see, I think. Because I lived, I lived in the U.S. for a while, and I know you too. I lived in the U.K., and I know you lived in in the U.K. as well, and you've worked with Europeans and so on and so forth. And I think what I've noticed a lot in in the Western countries is the quite opposite of what you've discussed, where it's more women kind of showing up and saying, "I'm in power, I'm in control, and this is what we're going to do." <laughs> mm. Yeah, and it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work. I saw it in corporate spaces. I, I, I mean, I see it all the time around me, to be honest. And it doesn't always work. No. And yeah. <laughs> Why do you no. think it doesn't work? Why do I think in certain cultures it might. In our, because I, specifically in the, African, in, the, in the African context, we, we don't know how to... We, we battle with the concept of being alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And doing things alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even in, so specifically like in the likes of South Africa, even in our communities and from our village across even to our municipalities, we have in Dabas where everyone comes, comes around and everyone shares the views. I suppose the, the, the Western version of a town hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's generally how we engage. If there's a problem that impacts everyone, everyone gets to have a say. Um, even as a family, if someone passes away, we all come together. No, not one person will say, okay, the burial is doing, we're doing ABCD. Everyone will come together. How can I help? Oh, the next door neighbor is coming now to give, to give, um, um, you know, like cookies or something to, or comfort food. Um, another person is coming to bring tea, another person. So it's always a sense of community and problem solving. Right. Right. Um, you know, we say, you say, if you want to go quickly, you go alone. You want to go far, you go together. Definitely. So even if your thinking needs to go further than normal, you collaborate and you sit down. So coming, so coming and bringing a style of leadership where the one person thinks they know, is, yeah. it's, it's uncultural for us. In yeah. our, even our kings have, have chiefs underneath them 
who even they have advisors. So by the time a thought process is presented to the king to make a decision, at, at any given time, you've had, you've had hundreds of thousands of people who've thought through this problem and are giving now the most refined thinking as options. Mm. So then coming in from the West and saying, hi, I'm a dictator, you'll do things my way. It's foreign. Yeah. You know, and you can't get by in that way. And what I'm learning is just from a human perspective, if you, if you set culture aside, from a human perspective, it doesn't work because human beings are wired to be connected. We're wired to want to work together and to support each other. And when someone comes in and says, this is how it's going to be done, people automatically start to feel alienated and they shut down. And that's why it doesn't yeah. work. So culturally, it doesn't work. And from a very basic human level, it doesn't work. So, yeah. But it seems, it seems to, you know, it seems to also come from a, from a perception of it's, if, it's, if it's corporate to corporate, it does work. So we look, like if we're looking at the likes of um, Western or non-African um, entities buying um, African entities mm-hmm. and how some of them really battle. Mm-hmm. Um, to integrate, you know, a good example would be the likes of Barclays, mm. who came in, who initially, what well, was working quite well in the rest of the continent, where they built the brand from scratch, integrating uh, with with people in those specific countries, mm-hmm. and then coming in and purchasing, and trying to replicate what happens in the UK um, on the continent. How how th- that that in itself, the same organisation doing two different things, and how one worked and the other didn't to the point where they had to disinvest. Mm. That, that automatically also says, you know, sometimes doing that lift and drops, doing the, this is how we do things, you should do things the same, sometimes doesn't work, as opposed to coming in from the ground, building and working with the people on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, it's, from, it's on both sticks. It's, um, it's, I think that goes back to your question is, are we, are we intimidated or nervous of foreigners coming in? No. And we can, we can comfortably say no. Yeah, yeah. So tell us now the future of Hesed. Where do you see yourself five, ten years from now? Oh, wow. Um, five, ten years. So let's look at five years. Five years, we're definitely active um, in at least um, at that time, you know, by eight, eight to ten different countries. Um, very active, really shifting the way people see themselves in the workplace so both as corp- both in corporates as employees and executives and as graduates and uh, and as entrepreneurs um really in a space where we are a trusted brand and trusted partner um by by, by our clients on the continent um in in 10 years time hopefully someone else will be at the helm um and and, and driving it you know the beauty of building a business is that you're building something that's separate from yourself and it, need, it needs to have a life and energy of its own and i'm hoping i'm a millennial and things change so quickly that yeah. i think gen, gen, gen z would be someone who's young and energetic and how they see the world completely different uh, some a young gen z would be at the helm of his head and and driving that agenda for the next generation yeah yeah definitely okay so in closing because you know many of our listeners are women who are in the early stages of business. What words of encouragement or advice, or however you want to title it, would you, would you like to share with them? Um, I'll leave them with an African quote from, from my people. Mm-hmm. The, way, the way, how to get there is us from those who've been there before you. Mm-hmm. It's what I like to say is do not replicate the wheel. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just on execution and how the times change. 
So in principle, there's nothing new. So instead of being frustrated and alone and feeling that you, you are incapable or someone else has, has someone else and everyone else seems to feel out except you, ask the way. So reach out to other women, reach out to other men who've been where you've been. And, and you find that very quickly you can create a community around yourself that, that encourages you when, when you're feeling a little bit down and you're feeling a little, um, you know, not, not feeling that you're capable, um, knowing that it's been done before and it will be done by you again. Um, I think that would probably be my last pearl of wisdom. And feel free to follow me on Twitter. I'm Vumilemseli, V-U-M-I-L-E-M-S-W-E-L-I. That's also on Instagram and um, Hesed Consulting. Reach out to us if we can help in any way. We're happy to help and, and do so. That's what I was just going to say. Please tell us now how we can reach you. All of your websites, all of your social media, etc., etc. Yep. So Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. I'm Vumilem Sweli. V U M I L E. My surname is Msweli. M S W E L I. And you can also get us at Hesed Consulting, which is H E S E D Consulting, on all, across all social media platforms and on LinkedIn. Awesome. Brilliant. Okay. And finally, is there anything that our community can do for you? So for those who are listening, are you interested in collaborating or maybe you need some support with something or help with something or assistance? What can our community do for you? Because you never know who's listening. Um, I think definitely I'm always excited to collaborate. I'm always excited to learn what's happening in other parts of the world because it makes us, uh, makes us better. Right. So if you have any great ideas, and especially if you're looking to get into the African continent and looking to expand into the continent and a little bit worry as to how to do so, where to go, we're happy to help you and, uh, and see how we can work together. Um, I'd say that. And um, I don't know. I think sometimes um, or, uh, like collaborations also come organically. So follow us on social media. We'll follow yeah. you. Yeah. And as we see each other's content, you never know what bright idea might be sparked. Definitely. Fantastic. Well, Vumi, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And <clears throat> I really have to stress, <coughs> excuse me, to all of those listening, Vumi is a fantastic public speaker. So Vumi, do you have <laughs> where you store your speeches? Because you should. Um, I don't know if you have some place on your website where people can hear the speeches you've, you've delivered, but they're absolutely brilliant too. So I have a, my YouTube channel has some of my speeches and some of my normal conversations and our, our website at Hasid has some of our podcasts. So if you want to hear me chatting about different topics, you can find us on YouTube at Hasid Consulting and on our website and our podcast. Okay, good. Because I, I really think, I mean, I loved hearing you um, and I told you that already when we first, I loved hearing oh. you. I was like, oh, wow. Who is this girl? What's going on? No, I mean, amazing. I think that's your gift. I think that's your gift. I think in the future, you'll be doing a lot more public speaking, perhaps, than, than you realize. Oh, <laughs> I mean, thank you, you so Thank you. I know you do a lot already, but I really think that that's your gift. That is your talent. You're so good at that. You're so good at that. So everybody, please go to her YouTube channel, Hesed Consulting, and look at Vumi's um, just her talks or conversations. I think you should study. If you're interested in becoming a public speaker, you definitely need to study the way she speaks, even the, the body composure and everything. I was just like, hmm, I can learn from Vumi. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're brilliant. So thank you so much again. And I look forward to having you on the podcast. Once, maybe once you've done some more expansion and, and tell us how 
everything is going and what you're doing. And who knows, maybe you might do business one day in, in Asia or in Latin America or in the Caribbean and other emerging markets. I really think that's, that's the ultimate collaboration. We're emerging markets working together. I think that's great. Oh, that'll be amazing. Yeah, definitely. Okay, lovely birds, that's it. You know how to reach Bumi. You know how to get in contact with her. I hope you have left this conversation feeling inspired or motivated. And until next time, bye for now.